Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shireko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shireko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome John Bedner to the program. John authored the book, The People's President. He's an educator. However, his book is a novel that delves into the political environment. And given today's internal split throughout the country, it's a very interesting read. Let's have some fun exploring the world of the people's president. Please wave your hands to welcome John Bedner. Hello, John. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Good. On this nice, hot, muggy day, probably, wherever you are. Well, I'm in Michigan, and it's a, a beautiful, sunny day, and I just played 18 holes of golf about an hour ago, <laughs> finished about an hour ago, and it's a 75 degrees here. <laughs> oh, how nice. <laughs> now I'm I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> John, although you have spent many years as an educator um, in some pretty prestigious universities, there's also a special aspect in your work in educational history. Can you give us a quick rundown of your curriculum vitae? Well, a quick, that, that's, that's almost impossible for me to do, but I will try. <laughs> I, I, I was born in Oklahoma City, grew up in Dallas, Texas, went to a uh, military school named Shattuck School, which today is called Shattuck St. Mary's School in Minnesota, spent four years at Princeton majoring in English, but fell in love with French while I was there, uh, did four years of graduate school in France, uh, competing with French people in their own language, wound up getting a, ma- a doctor's degree in a, 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 a doctorate, uh, specializing in medieval French literature, married a French woman, came back to the United States, taught at Princeton for two years, taught at Berkeley for three years, and then I quit teaching for 14 years and was in the business world, uh, five of which were spent in France as the vice president in charge of sales for the Hobie Cat Sailboat Company, uh, where I traveled all over Europe going to regattas and boat shows and so on. Uh, Then I came back to uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, as a single parent with two children, and I was the development director of a a fairly well-known school for boys in Dallas called St. Mark's School of Texas. And then I was a development consultant for a number of years, and uh, then I was um, the general manager of the Dallas Theater Center for a year, and then I had my own manufacturing company for three years, and then just before going back to teaching, in 1988, for four months, I was the interim executive director of the Fort Worth Ballet, and I was the person who got Herschel Walker to dance, by the way, for the Fort Worth (laughs) Ballet. I love that. And and (laughs) I think that was really wonderful. And Mm -hmm. then I, I went back to teaching, taught at Penn State for a year, and came to Clemson University, where I where I spent the rest of my life teaching there, and was the 
director of a program called the Language and International Trade Program at Clemson, and I retired there in 2005. So that's the short version. <laughs> that's a short version, and that's already a number of years. So I think you've probably filled it with a lot more stuff that is not necessarily a job. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. um, I know you – I'm sure you were pretty busy teaching at Princeton and Berkeley. However, you still found time to write. Uh, you finished the first edition of your book, The People's President, during the time that you were at those universities. How was it received? Well, it's kind of interesting. I, I, I wrote the first manuscript, which wasn't published yet, when I was teaching at Berkeley. And I, and I had a, 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 a rep who managed to get in and have it considered by Universal Studios for a film. And the, uh, however, he came back to me, said, John, he said, they're, they're interested in your, in your book uh, as a possible uh, movie, but they want you to change the ending. And I looked at him, and I was uh, kind of uh, full of myself back then. And I, uh, young, young, you know, I was in my 30s. And I said, no, I'm not going to change the end of it. <laughs> and that was that. It never got made into a movie. But uh, eventually, I uh, published the first version of it in 1984 and uh, sold uh, the 3,000 copies that I had printed of it. I was a self-published book. And then I went to my 50th year reunion at Princeton a number of years ago already, and a number of my classmates said, John, you ought to rewrite this book or update it because of the political atmosphere that we're dealing with right now. And this was shortly before the election of, of President Trump. And so I said, okay, that makes sense. And I changed it around and uh, put it into the version that it exists today, which is published by Archway Publishing, which is also uh, self-publishing, uh, uh, self helps uh, authors who want to publish, publish their own books. So there you go. So this was the second edition in 2016. That's While correct. the election was going on, right? He hadn't won yet. This is still a, a work in progress. That's, that's right. That's exactly right. Okay. And so the main character is a political science professor at Princeton University. And he, he brings a new touch to the presidency. He's an independent and even more significantly, he asks for no money to run his campaign. That's correct. Did I get that right? Yeah, okay. You, you got that right. And, and the, the, that is one of the major concerns that I have had all my life, right from the time I first wrote the first version of the book. And I, and I would be interested if, if your people who are listening to this uh, interview would do the following. Just ask anybody they want to the following question. Do you think there's too much money in politics? And I have never had anyone answer negatively that, to that question. Uh, everyone that I know of uh, agrees that there's too much money in politics. So I frankly set about trying to imagine a scenario that would just simply remove money from politics. It's a noble concept. 
you know, even even to this, you know, it's it's a subject right now. You know, is there too much money floating around Im- improperly? Yeah. Did for, did the professor receive any support for his approach on this? Well, yes. I mean, I had to I had to imagine a scenario. Of course, uh, the the. It's, this is a, a novel. This is fiction, and so uh, I, I imagine scandals in both parties and problems in both parties, and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, yes, and I also imagined a a somewhat secretive international organization of students who pick up on the idealism of this professor and help him along the way. But but in addition to that, there are other people like uh, Charlie Gibson, who was a classmate of mine at, at Princeton, whom I know quite well. Uh, uh, you know, here's this being reported on the national news, and uh, he gets behind it. So I guess the, a long answer to your question is is I, I think that it is possible if certain people pay attention to the qualifications and the personality of someone who's doing it, I think it's possible. Now, you must keep in mind that this is a, this is idealistic, and I am basically an idealist, <laughs> but I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> well, no, I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, one of the more fascinating aspects, and if you look at a typical presidential campaign, is that they're flying all over the country all the time, and they're you know they're going to sleeping in hotel rooms and having conferences in you know big meeting rooms, and that's being paid for by somebody. Yet Franklin will not accept any money. How does he get around this? Well, uh, that's kind of an interesting. Uh, I had to uh, I had to do some original thinking on that myself. And uh, this hero of my novel knows people all over the country because he has given speeches here and there, and he's gone to conferences, and he knows a lot of people. And uh, when he when he when he becomes popular enough for him to actually start doing that and traveling around the country, I imagine the following scenario: He simply goes to an airport and sticks his thumb out. <laughs> and, and of course, everybody knows that he's going to do that, and 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 and, uh, and representatives from all of the major airlines are standing in line waiting to offer him and his small group of of, of uh, people helping him uh, uh, take their flight because they know that that's going to uh, uh, you know attract attention to their airline. And uh, so they're all sitting there when he first does this, and he and 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 he said, and they're saying, "Well, which one of us would you like to choose?" Well, I imagine my hero choosing the airline that is the least well known, that has the most empty seats. And he says, "I'd I'd like to go on that airline because I won't be I won't be depriving anybody else of a seat." Incredible. And it goes on from there, and he and he, yeah. and he does that, and he and he gets housed with friends wherever he goes, and the and and it's sort of a snowball effect because in addition to the 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 secret uh, student organization that supports him, uh, numerous people just kind of get on board with this idea, and organize big meetings in uh, football stadiums and 
and arenas and places where large crowds of people just come out of curiosity to see who this person is. Well, uh, that is, and, and that element of curiosity is so important because it, people who aren't necessarily for him but want to hear what he has to say, you know, that's a swing vote right there. They come on board. But it, what is curious to me is when someone is nominated, they're sort of the head, uh, for president anyway, they're the head of all the other people who are running. And you can't say that if you're not affiliated with a major party, which which he is not. And yet, and, and he doesn't have a running mate. He has, nobody knows of, of what he's doing. And yet somehow he manages to pull it off. What, what did he, how did he deal with that? Well, he does eventually get a running mate who is an independent who's already elected who goes for him. And he, he also gets, a socialite, gets the support of a socialite, a woman who's a widow uh, and who is a big socialite in Washington, D.C. I imagine her getting on board and throwing a number of parties that sort of uh, help him uh, move down the road. But, but the, the, the simple fact is, I mean, in the novel anyway, that this snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And nobody really knows why. It simply happens. And the, and the man, oh, and by the way, when he, uh, when he does these meetings, he doesn't uh, talk all the time. He asks people in the, in the audience questions, and he listens to them. He says, you know, I'd, I'd like to know what you think. And so there's a dialogue that goes on by, uh, between this, this man who is doing this unusual campaign and the people. And by the way, uh, if, if I may interject here in this, in this uh, conversation we're having, an idea of mine that would, have, that would be very, very interesting to see in a movie, these crowds that come to see this person out of curiosity, oddly enough, don't yell don't scream, don't clap a lot, don't make noise, uh, are very silent and respectful to each other. And uh, it, it is not at all the same uh, thing that you see when you go to a political rally where people are jumping up and down and wearing buttons and screaming and yelling. It's a very, it's a very mature sort of interaction between this imaginary hero of mine and the common citizens whom he respects immensely. Mm. It's very interesting. I mean, I, this, this is like the, you know, the ideal of any political party scenario, what he's trying to do. But how yeah. do the traditional parties respond to this? Well, uh, I imagine uh, uh, two different things. Uh, in one of the political parties, there's a scandal that happens right from the beginning, and, and the, the, the front runner uh, gets involved in a tax uh, evasion problem that absolutely eliminates him, and it's very embarrassing, and uh, he has to be replaced by a, uh, a Mr. Nothing. Uh, and that's in one party. And then in the other party, I imagine the, the, the front runner as being absolutely the most vicious, mob-like uh, 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 person you can imagine who actually 
orchestrated the the demise of the 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 person I just mentioned in the other party, and he's just just oh he's just so happy about that, and and so there's there's a lot of exaggerated mafioso stuff that I throw in there, but the uh, the fact is that both of the parties are in pretty much in disarray. Uh, particularly the one where the candidate has to be replaced by a Mr. Nobody at the last minute. Mm. So ultimately, do the American people support him? Yes. And that gets back to the story you asked me about the whole beginning manuscript where the where Universal Studios asked me to uh, change the ending because, yes, I elect the guy. He does make it. <laughs> More power to you. I would have hated it if you changed the ending. It's a wonderful <laughs> ending. <laughs> but do you think it can happen in today's environment? You know, Susan, I have to say yes to that. And the reason I have to say yes to it is that I see a world around me. You know, I'm 78 years old now, and I see a world around me, particularly in the in the area of politics, that is just disheartening to me. Uh, 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 when, when the word Republican or the word Democrat can come out of any American's mouth and be a cuss word, there is something <laughs> wrong. There's there is a problem. <laughs> There's a big problem. But, but, Underneath all of that, that's what George Washington said in his farewell address. He said that partisan politics were the biggest enemy to this new young republic. But, but underneath all of that, I just have to believe that Americans are good people and that they have a sense of values that, actually, that, that really transcends all of this crud that we're seeing today. And so... Answer to your question, I honestly believe that it may not happen the way it happens in my novel, but I honestly think that, that strong systems of value in the hearts of good people can correct our problem. Hear, hear, from your lips. <laughs> as a, as a, now, this is, since this is the second edition of the original novel, are you taking a different approach to how you're promoting your book this time? I am. Well, I, I, that's an interesting question you're 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 asking me because I have I'm a retired professor, Susan. I don't have lots and lots of money myself, and I have uh, darted. I, for example, I went to a pitch fest uh, that was organized that was that was suggested to me by Archway Publishing. Uh, uh, after the book was published. And I went out to Hollywood and I discovered how films are made and all of the uh, various factors that go into that. And I was frankly a little bit overwhelmed. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a much more complicated process than most people think. And it's a much more time consuming process. You don't just make a movie overnight. And uh, so I have tried uh, various things, but to be honest with you, uh, I haven't uh, done much more than just let uh, people like yourself uh, get involved once in a while and and uh, hope that maybe somebody, maybe somebody 
will read my book and say, well, doggone it, yes, and get involved uh, in some way. But that's the best way I can answer your question right now. And I think that's a very uh, practical approach to it. I mean, my sense of pitch fest, we call it speed dating in other departments in the industry where you have an opportunity to you know, pitch yourself for a new job or an opportunity to work in a company that does the kind of projects you want to do. But yeah. you, you, have a minute, you have a minute and a half yeah, to sell right. yourself. Yeah. And it's just, there's no, it, it just feels impossible to overcome all the various things you want to get across uh, in a conversation like that. So I know that it must be even more challenging when you're taking your script, which has all this nuance and, and you know, all these various components to it, and they all were crafted carefully so that it would work together. And you have, you know, only a few minutes to pitch the whole thing. Yeah. Very, very disheartening. I, did you do you remember any particular individual who spoke to you that made made you stand out and made you go, oh, there's possibility here? Or no, uh, that 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 actually happened in that pitch fest. You, you, we had eleven tables, and you had you had I think it was two minutes at each table, and basically mm-hmm. to do what you just said. And uh, I got I got a couple of compliments from uh, people, and I can't even remember. Uh, what companies they represented, but uh, I got a couple of compliments about about my idea, but at the end of the day, nobody picked it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have I've spoken with several. I, I'm not a great fan of pitch fest because I've gone through this myself. Not pitching, but as a you know, as a someone looking for a job through the same technique. Yeah, and yeah. I have you know, and so I have. I have very little faith. I've done a little, tiny, tiny, tiny amount of research to find out how many people actually are successful and get a movie out of something. Uh, and so I spoke to a casting director um, not too long ago about this, and her recommendation was that you look for any pitch fest that have a specific uh, niche so that you are, you know, if you're a Christian author, with a Christian subject, you find the Christian broadcasting filmmakers because uh-huh. they will—they will all right. You know, they're all ready going to be in your court. Um, if you're a sci-fi writer, there's going to be a sci-fi conference or exhibition somewhere, and they may have a film, um, you know, filmmakers association affi- uh, affiliated with them. They are more likely to be open to your ideas and have suggestions about what would make it more valuable to them. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good So that you know, you know, it's, yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm now in that corner of don't pick just any old pitch fest. Find out who the producers are who have signed on and check them on IMDb and see if they do the kind of content you yourself have created. Uh so that's my you know, my recommendation for people nowadays, but it's it's really uh it, it's not an easy nut to crack. It's no, a, it is you know, a combination of somebody having an agent or having a lawyer who can represent you and pitch it to these big you know, uh, networks or studios is important because then they take, they take you seriously and they're willing to take your pitch at all. So there's a, you know, it's, a, it's learning the ropes, I guess, is the best way to say it, rather than just saying, okay, I'm going to do a pitch fest. <laughs> So it, 
you know, because it's romantic, and you, I mean, it is neat to go and see all the famous Hollywood stuff, and yeah, did they yeah. give you a tour of somebody's studio so you could see how it all worked? Yeah, I didn't do that. I just went out yeah, and did okay. the pitch fest. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's that's there's a lot of people who have never been to Hollywood and never have no idea what it's like, and it's a very big, you know, an exciting experience for them. So there's a lot of opportunity to learn if you have never done it. It's it's informational, but uh, yeah. So anyway, have you got something else in mind now? Or you have another a no, what's next no, no, project? No, uh, I am actually. It's kind of funny. Uh, there is a small chance that I will will become a commentator for French television. Really? Yeah, it's kind of a funny. So, well, I speak, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but I've spent more than 15 years of my life in France, and I speak French very, very, very fluently. And you may or may not know that Tony Blinken, the secretary, the new Secretary of State under Biden. Uh, also speaks very fluent French. Uh, oh, I don't no, know I didn't him. know that. Mm-hmm. I don't know him. Uh, but I have a very close friend in France who is uh, the um, campaign manager for a candidate for the presidency of France next year. And he and I have talked recently, and he said, John, he said, you know, one of the neat things that you might consider doing is being a, an American commentator that French television stations could use to just talk about life in America, but talk in French to French people about, about what life in America is like. And I said, well, that's a, that, that's a very good idea. And so we're talking about that right now, and that might happen. And then there's something else that might happen as well, although I think the chances of that are rather slim. But I have um, put myself out there as someone who could be a very good assistant to the new ambassador to France. And uh, that ambassador, uh, this has not been announced officially, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Denise Bauer, who was the woman who did Women for Obama, and she was uh, appointed the ambassador to Belgium by Obama as a result of that. And then she did Women for Biden, and he's going to appoint her uh, to the as the ambassador to Paris. And my thought, uh, in uh, in applying to be her assistant or an assistant of some kind that would help her is simply, again, the fact that I speak the language so fluently, know so many people in so many different areas of France, that I could that I could help us in our relationships with the French people. Very interesting. Have you ever thought of politics for yourself? Oh yes, I ran. I run t- twice. Cool. I, I ran. <laughs> I ran just like the hero of my novel. Uh, three years ago, I ran for the district, uh, 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 the district three seat in South Carolina, which happens to be Lindsey Graham's district. He grew up in the oh, little really? town. Where I, he re, he grew up in the little town where I live. My neighbor across the street knows him quite well, and and uh, and I ran as an independent on a budget of zero, just like my hero, <laughs> for, wow. for, uh, for the, uh, a seat in Congress. 
Now, the, the, it, it so, as it so happens, uh, the district I live in in South Carolina is a very, very uh, right-wing district, and the person who has been elected there five times now is a fellow named Jeff Duncan, and he got 73.5% of the vote in the last election, and he's going to be there for another two years. So I, I didn't really have any hope of getting elected, but the first time I ran, I got uh, Susan, you're not going to believe this. I got 105 votes. That was a total count. <laughs> and the second time, and the second time I ran, but I got stopped by the pandemic. I, I was on mm-hmm. my way to trying to get a petition with 10,000 signatures on it, which is what you have to do if you want to be a write-in candidate that goes on the ballot. Oh, and I okay. Got up to eight, I, but I got up to 850 signatures when the pandemic hit and shut everything down. And so, but this time around, I got 307 votes. So yes, yes, I have a very, very brief history of actually having done a little tiny bit. (laughs) Are you as idealistic as George Franklin? You got it. You got it, sweetheart. I sure am. I think you mentioned that you had you had some sort of a campaign. I don't know if it's, it's not a campaign, like a political campaign, but a, you know, a p- campaign to reach out to all of America's billionaires and make some changes that would involve term limits in Congress. Oh and yes, in that's one of my other. That's one of my other subjects that I really. Well, it's a, it's money and politics. I woke up one morning, not too awfully long ago. Well, a while back. And I write stuff down when I get up, and, and, and sometimes I do something with it, and sometimes I don't do anything with it. But the thing I did with it that morning was I said to myself, here I am saying that money is the problem in politics, when in fact maybe money could could be the answer. And so I, so I looked up on Google the uh, the list of American billionaires, and I think there were 38 or 39 of them, and the and the, the, the richest one was, I believe, Bezos, who was getting close to a trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and, the, and, the, and the lowest person on the totem pole was a woman named, I think, Abigail Johnson, who had a her, – her fortune was estimated at $15 billion. And, oh, I suggested, and I suggested – that was the low person on the totem pole. Right, and the, right. And the – and, and I suggested that one way of solving our political problem right now might be for either one or a group of those people with all of that kind of money to uh, get behind the election of completely independent people to the Congress, to the, to the House of Representatives, and to the Senate. And I suggested that the numbers that we would need would be 10 senators and 50 House members. And I uh, just sort of made up uh, how much that would cost to to get people like that elected who are, who might be totally unknown and in competition with the Republicans and the Democrats. And I came up with a half a billion dollars for each senator and a hundred million dollars for each representative. And 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 when you added it all up, even Abigail Johnson could have done it by herself and stint, still been very rich. <laughs> Amazing. I think it's an interesting, any idea like that, there's thoughts, because it's, there is, there is that issue of having too much money in politics. And the very nature of the job 
in, sort of uh, empowers people to make more money outside the job than what you know than than people are aware of, and so it's a very lucrative position for people to give up on or to embrace these new ideas. And I I don't know where we solve that. Um, it's a you know I I look at certain you know, senators who have vast real estate holdings, not in their own name, but through their family. And they, you know, they, they, why would they be interested in seeing the resolution of these financial problems? You know, that it doesn't, where does it benefit them? That's the cynicism in my life. <laughs> well, you know, I, and I, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but I, I'm pretty sure that uh, Plato in his Republic, when he talked about democracy, said democracy works just fine until the elected officials find a way of using the public till to stay in office. Yep. Yep. And Isn't I and I truth? think that we're we're that we're not too far away from that. And in fact, may already be there and have been for a while. And and again, Susan, I'm so happy to have these kinds of conversations with people like you because. Yes, I mean I am an idealist, and all, all of these things that I propose are 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 out there as ideals, and and may or may not happen someday. But doggone it, I think we should never forget to have some ideals that we. I mean, ideals are 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 exactly what the word means. They're they're they are goals to be striven towards. And and we all have them in, in whatever value systems we have. And why not let some of that come forward? I think it would be healthy for all of us. I agree with you. And I, this all sounds like a story for the future. You know, what would that look like? What? How would Washington change if these ideals actually surfaced and took root? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, 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 the fact is, and of course this is mentioned on the news all the time, but uh, this uh, uh, democratic republic that we have created in the United States is fragile. It's mm. not as, it, it depends, like the hero of my novel says, on people assuming every single person in the whole country assuming a measure of responsibility for making it work. Every single person. Woo! That's a tall marching order. Well, tall marching that's order. Fine. Yep. <laughs> so we go for it, right? The yeah. president's the people's president is thought provoking and it's still a very fun read. Where can people get it? Is it on oh, Amazon? Am people can get it on Amazon, and people can get it uh, with Archway Publishing. Uh, and th those are the two major uh, places. Uh, uh, Archway Publishing, you might want to uh, – Archway is easy to uh, find on Google. And, of course, Amazon. Anybody who goes on to Amazon and, and plugs in the people's president can buy it. Fantastic. So, well, John, thank you very much for joining us. It's a fun to read novel. It moves between the animosities of our uh, current political environment, emphasizing idealism all the way, 
and almost makes you believe we could have a government of servant leaders. And then for our listeners, thank you very much for stopping by for a visit. We've been speaking with John Bedner about his book, The People's President, available at Archway Publishing and Amazon. We may not be able to avoid the political arguments in our real world, but it is refreshing to play out a more pleasant scenario in the novel. I enjoyed reading it and can recommend it to everyone who's listening. Thanks again for sharing your book with us, John. You're so welcome, Susan, and it's been a pleasure getting to know you in the way we've done. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome, likewise. That's a wrap for today, folks. Bye for now, and have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shireko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.